Well, if you're investing into a syndication, I'm always going to tell people, don't do it in your own name. Now, obviously, the, the limited partnership or that LLC, whatever you're investing into, that's going to provide you asset protection. So if you do have a problem with that asset and, and there's a lawsuit that's brought, you as a limited partner or, or member, you're not going to be hit personally. Let's get ready to scale. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm Jeanette Friedrich now, and joining me today is Clint Coons. Clint is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, attorney, and the author of Next Level Real Estate Asset Protection. He's also the managing partner at Anderson Business Advisors, which focuses on asset protection, business and estate planning for real estate investors, as well as medical professionals and small to medium-sized business owners. He has a JD from Seattle University School of Law, and his undergrad is in business and finance from the University of Washington. And Clint is joining us today from Tacoma, Washington. So Clint, hey. welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're, you're a seasoned pro. We're excited to hear what you have to share today. Oh, you made me feel old just by reading that uh, biography. <laughs> I think that um, when we start to feel old, that's when we know that we are old or when you start to look at people and think, oh, wow, those kids and they're like in their 20s or 30s. Yeah, you right. know, that's, yeah those are the moments I'm starting to have lately. <laughs> but anyway, Great. all right. So, Clint, let's jump in. So, you know, one of the things uh, that I know that you have shared uh, on other platforms is, you know, one of your goals is to help investors thwart what you call BS lawsuits. So I thought this would be interesting for our listeners. What are a couple of examples of these BS lawsuits? And then we'll kind of get into how people protect themselves from them. Well, I mean, it just comes down to whenever somebody wants to shake another party down for a dime because... The other party has assets and, and you don't. And I remember one situation that comes to mind. I had a client that bought a, a rental house subject to. So the, the owners were in a distressed financial situation. They're behind on their taxes, behind on the mortgage. And my client came in and he put out a fair amount of money to bring everything current and then actually paid them another five or $10,000 to help with moving expenses to get a new place. And then he started rehabbing the property. Well, the rehab took a little longer than he anticipated because he didn't do his due diligence, which is always important in real estate. But about seven months into this, an attorney reaches out to him. So he kicks it over to me and he says, hey, there's this attorney trying to get a hold of me uh, regarding these two clients that I, or these two people I bought the house from. So I called up the attorney. I said, what's going on here? Why are you making some threats towards my client? He said, well, it's simple. Your client's destroying my client's credit because he hasn't sold the house. They're still on the mortgage. And I was listening to him, you know, just ran rave about this. I said, I really don't get it. I give my, my client helped out your clients in a distressed financial situation, saved them from bankruptcy. What is this really about? And the guy starts chuckling and he said, son, he goes, you don't get this. Your clients have money. My clients don't. That's what this is all about. So I hung up on him after I told him to get better clients. And um, my client was like, you hung up on the guy? I said, yeah, his clients don't have any money. They're not gonna pursue this at all. But they thought they could shake you down for a few extra dollars on this deal. And that's what we're getting at here is that when people perceive other individuals with whom they have uh, business relations to have assets and, and, and wealth, 
they may be so inclined to find attorneys like this guy and go after you and see what's going to fall out of the tree. So what I like to do is prevent that from occurring. Wow. Very interesting story. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about subject to uh, properties, but I just recently came back from a conference where uh, one of the speakers uh, specializes in that. And it seems very interesting, uh, though. I, I also thought it seemed pretty complicated um, or complex, at least from a legal standpoint. But we won't get into the details of that because I don't know enough to, to know anything. But interesting story, very interesting story um, and a solid point, too. Um, you know, when people are successful, I think it tends to make them sometimes targets. And so, you know, for our listeners, uh, because we, you know, we focus on multifamily properties, the majority of our deals are syndicated. So we have a lot of limited partners in every one of these deals with us. How would you advise people to protect themselves uh, as real estate investors, rather they're, you know, if from an LP standpoint or a GP standpoint, what is your best advice that you share? Well, if you're investing into a syndication, I'm always going to tell people, don't do it in your own name. Now, obviously the, the limited partnership or that LLC, whatever you're investing into, that's going to provide you asset protection. So if you do have a problem with that asset and, and there's a lawsuit that's brought, you as a limited partner or, or member, you're not going to be hit personally because that's why you set up the structures to provide protection for the investors. But that's called inside liability. And this is where so many people just focus on that one aspect of asset protection planning. They only think in terms of, oh yeah, I'm protected from the uh, property and, and its tenants. Reality is, is that liability exists outside. I mean, the things that we do on a day in and day out basis, you get in a car and, and you could be sued if you're involved in a car accident or your children. Uh, one of my clients was put into bankruptcy because their son struck another student with his vehicle that was registered in the parent's name and made him a paraplegic, so they sued the parents into bankruptcy. Things like this happen, and if you sign on leases, if you run your own business, you can be sued for discrimination or you know anything they can make up uh, that may or may not have any factual basis to it, it still puts you in a, in a vulnerable position. And many times insurance, won't even cover these types of claims. So what I tell people is that if you're making an investment into a syndication, don't hold it in your own name because if I was coming after you and I got a judgment, I can step in front of you in that syndication and take all your distributions and tell them paid off. What I wanna do is take that syndication interest and take it from a personal syndication into a protected syndication, meaning I would set up a limited liability company and hold my interest in that LLC so it would prevent a creditor from stepping in front of me and any distributions that come from the syndication I'm investing in. So that's how I do it from the limited side. General side, well, that's a whole other set of problems. Uh, frankly, if you're gonna get involved on the general side, always use an entity to protect yourself. And I would not have that entity own any other assets, right? The last thing you wanna do is load up your general side with interest in the actual syndication itself, other syndications, properties, lots of cash. You wanna keep all that out of there because that is the entity that if something's gonna get uh, go wrong and you're gonna have an investor suit, they're gonna go after that entity. You're gonna have a problem with the uh, asset itself. You're gonna have a potential issue with that entity. So you wanna make sure you're protecting yourself there, but don't let it accumulate a lot of assets. Excellent advice. Um, I'm happy to say that I think we're checking the boxes correctly. Uh, and how we structure our deals, we got LLCs all over the place, um, but it is a smart way to secure assets. Now, 
for those, I, I know it's not complicated. I know it's very simple, but for those that have been investing through their personal name and, you know, are listening to this and thinking, uh oh, you know, I need to, I need to change how I've done this. Um, what can you just very simply, you know, kind of walk people through how to most effectively create their LLCs and move their investments into various LLCs? Oh, uh, you're screwed. There's nothing we can do for you now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's just it. Even if you didn't do it, the, uh, what we call it the right way the first time, you can always fix it. All you need to do is create the structure. And when you're creating the structure to hold that interest, here's the thing. Make sure that that entity that you're setting up, that LLC, offers one anonymity, meaning that your name won't appear on it in the on the Secretary of State's website. That's the first thing. Second thing you want to make sure is that the state offers you strong charging order protections. And so if you're setting it up on your own, you're setting it up with a, a local attorney, first thing you need to ask them, hey, is this going to give me anonymity, meaning my name's not going to be on the Secretary of State's website? Or two, does it have strong charging order protections? Because those are the two main benefits that come from creating this entity. And that's why you want to set it up. And then you take your existing syndication interest, which is personal, and you transfer it. So you have to contact uh, the syndicator, uh, whoever's managing that project, you reach out to them, the sponsor, and you say, you tell them, I would like to move the interest from, a, from my personal name into my limited liability company. And then they'll have a form that you fill out and they'll transfer it. Yep, correct. And uh, just, you know, to give people a little bit more insight into that, one of the things we actually kind of take it a little step further, uh, because technically, you know, according to the SEC, these, these types of shares are not transferable, but you're really not transferring the shares. It's not the owner that's actually changing. It's just the vehicle, you know, with which they're investing through. Uh, so, you know, we have people complete a form, but we also just, you know, cross our T's and dot our I's, also have them get a letter from their attorney confirming that the ownership is indeed the same, that the owners are not changing and it's just the investment vehicle that is. So just FYI for people, if you really want to be careful, I, I think it's a, smart to do it that way. Um, now let's talk about, you know, we're talking about asset protection, but I think that there's a lot of other ways too that investors can protect themselves. But before we get into that, let's have a word from our sponsor. Ready to Scale is brought to you by Blue Lake Capital, where we hunt down the best multifamily investment opportunities that we can find and invite investors to join in with us. We target Class B value-add multifamily properties across the Sun Belt. Our CEO, Ellie Perlman, invests a substantial amount of capital into every deal. This means our interests are aligned with yours. If you're an accredited investor looking to expand your portfolio and diversify sponsors, be sure to visit us at bluelake-capital.com. Blue Lake Capital, be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. All right, sorry about that interruption there, Clint. Carrying on. All right, so we're talking about, you know, um, you know, basically LP setting up their own LLC so that they can, you know, put those into place for each of their investments. Now, part of doing that is also creating an operating agreement. So, you know, anytime you have an LLC, you have to create an operating agreement. And 
I'm sure that you probably have some really great advice for how people should create their own operating agreements. But also, I'd like to talk about what they should look for in the sponsor's operating agreements as well, because those are very serious legal documents that a lot of people completely gloss over and never read. So please, you know, enlighten us. Yeah. So when you're putting together your own operating agreement, the first thing you never want to do is go to the internet and download something that you found out there. Because there's a lot of free operating agreements that people can download and try to use in their situation. But many of the times they're not, of course, custom drafted and they don't necessarily apply to the situation in which you're going to be using it. And so what I tell people is, number one, listen, if you're going to make that investment, you want to make sure it's going to be protected. Why go through all of the effort only to have your LLC fall apart if it comes under attack or you come under attack? There's a recent case where an individual put several million dollars into an LLC. He had sold his business and then he was doing some things and he got sued personally and they pierced his LLC and they were able to take all of his assets that were held inside of there because he didn't understand the operating agreement that he created that words have have meanings. So what do I look for in an operating agreement? One, you want to make sure that you have a solid uh, business clause, meaning you, you lay out why you're setting up that LLC, what's its intended purpose. You want to make sure you can have the ability to appoint officers if you need to. Uh, and second thing is that charging order so, uh, language that I was talking about in the state statute. You want to mirror that in your operating agreement so it prevents creditors from breaking into your LLC. Distributions. So this is a one that is really, really important is that you wanna make sure that distributions are discretionary and not mandatory. Um, what do I mean by that? That when you have an LLC set up, you will not be forced to take profits out every year. You control it, you can decide when those profits are gonna be distributed to you. You also at the same time wanna have a provision in there that allows for this, non pro rata distributions. So they don't have to be equal. So many individuals who create LLCs do not understand the importance of that language. So it's things like that. The little things that come into it are crucial when you're setting up your own LLC, because the reason why you're setting it up is you want to make sure that if you do get sued, it's going to protect you. And you brought up when you're investing in a syndication, what should you be looking for? Well, what I'm typically looking for when a client sends me a syndication, I want to know about capital costs, right? In which situations can they require me to contribute additional capital? because that can be a problem. And if they can require additional capital call, then the question becomes, if I don't make that, what is the ramification? Am I diluted? Can somebody buy out my interests? So I look at things like that. I also look at what the uh, payout features like for the management arm of the entity or the sponsor of the entity, how that's structured, what the waterfall provision is gonna look like as far as when I'm going to get my money back out of that, how the income's gonna be distributed out to me uh, on an annual basis. And then transferability, we brought that up. Are, are your interests freely transferable? What are the restrictions that can come into, uh, into that operating agreement? So those are, are some of the key uh, structures or things that I'm gonna be focused on when I am looking at someone's syndication that they're considering investing in. So at the end of the day, you wanna get your money back and you wanna get paid. And uh, sometimes operating agreements can work just the opposite. Very good advice. And, you know, you opened Pandora's box just a little bit there. Um, you know, so let's talk about capital calls, because I know for certain there are a lot of multifamily investors out there right now that are experiencing capital calls. 
Thankfully, uh, none of them are, you know, ours uh, because we have not done any capital calls. So I really don't know a lot about it. Um, so, you know, what protections or steps or actions can investors take if they are indeed part of this group of, you know, multifamily investors that are finding themselves in real time experiencing capital calls? Well, there's not a lot you can do. Um other than not pay. You're not obligated to meet the capital call, but the, the issue comes in is if you don't meet the capital call, what, what can the other members do or what can the sponsor do to your interest? Now, and sometimes in operating agreements, if you don't meet a capital call it's, and somebody else makes it on your behalf, it's treated as a loan to you and then they have imputed interest. And if you don't pay that loan off, then they can essentially take your interest from you. And so you can lose your investment in that company. So that's a concern. Ideally, what you want to look for in that situation, if you can't meet the capital call, then you want a provision that just merely dilutes your interest, which, you know, would make sense if there's other people that have more skin in the game than you do, then when they're, when money gets paid back, well, then uh, you're not going to receive as much as those other players who were able to meet that capital call because you had use of your money for other investment purposes. So, from a liability standpoint, you're not going to have personal liability beyond your contribution. But the question is, what happens to that contribution? Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, any other little last bit of advice that you want to share regarding capital calls before we move on? You know, it's just know your sponsor, right? Understand the deal. Look at the due diligence that they've done that's gone into putting that deal together. So you have an idea of what you might be expecting in the event uh, that there might be a capital call. And for a lot of investors, what I found is that they, they they don't do their own due diligence. They don't look into the deal enough and they and they just blindly invest. And then when you find out, hey, yeah, that property was dilapidated and of course it was gonna run an extra million dollars to do the rehab, and then they're kind of stuck. Yeah, it's definitely unfortunate uh, to see that happening uh, throughout the industry. Hopefully it is nothing that I ever have to do or know about. Uh, I'd like to keep my ignorance right where it's at, hopefully. Um, all right. Now, you know, moving forward, uh, just to kind of touch on a few other things that I'm sure you have some expertise in that'll be of, you know, significant concern to our listeners. Um, you know, we're talking about asset protection, but of course there's a difference between asset protection and estate protections and estate planning. So what do you think are some of the most important steps people need to make sure that they've taken to ensure that, yeah, maybe they're protecting their assets well, but what about their legacy? What about their actual estate? Uh, what advice do you give for our listeners on that? Well, see, that's just one of the things that most people wait on, unfortunately. They are, everyone wants to set up a limited liability company or a corporation or some type of business entity, and they don't factor in what's going to happen if you're killed tomorrow. Who's going to take over that interest and step into your shoes? Especially when you're dealing with, say, an interest in a syndication and it's getting ready to have a liquidation event that's going to get paid out. Well, if you don't have a, a plan in place to allow for someone to step in and not have to go through the probate process, which means that if, if I passed away and I owned an interest in a syndication and it's getting ready to pay out and I'm no longer here, my kids just couldn't walk up and tell the sponsor, hey, pay me the money, my dad's dead. There's a, a process they're going to have to go through. That is open up a probate, get letters of testamentary, deal with an executor, deal with an attorney. Whereas if you had a living trust, you can bypass that. It is the fast lane, the fast pass to ensuring that your beneficiaries can immediately step into your shoes and take the 
necessary actions to ensure that there's a seamless transition of your wealth, that you don't have business disruptions along the way. And that's another reason why I recommended that when you hold an interest in a syndication, you do, th do so through a limited liability company. Because again, what can happen is if, if there was a liquidation event, that liquidation event, that money's gonna pay to the LLC. It's not gonna question, LLCs don't die, so there's no concern there. It goes right into the LLC and then your beneficiaries uh, would then have control of it. So you wanna make sure you're putting a plan together that incorporates all your structure, everything you own, into this living trust, it'll bypass probate, it'll give your beneficiaries, the people you love, complete control over your assets when you're no longer here. And like I said, best best part about it, it takes me out of the picture as well, because you don't need an attorney to administer the estate. Interesting. Now, if people want to set up a living trust, how do they go about that? They need an attorney for that, correct? You're definitely going to need an attorney uh, to set it up. And you know, typically a, a living trust will be comprised of the living trust, some pour over wills, financial power of attorney, medical power of attorney, directive to physicians, schedule of gifts, declaration of guardian if you have minor children. So there's a lot that goes into it. On average, you could probably expect to invest anywhere between you know, 3,500 up to about $8,000 to put together a living trust. And I've got a friend, um, they have a decent size estate this is probably around 20 mil and um, they hired a firm and I believe the total fee was $80,000. And I want to be your attorney that you were willing to pay 80 grand to create your living trust because sometimes attorneys do tend to overhype what needs to be in a living trust. At the end of the day, hey, the purpose is avoid probate and get it to my kids or my beneficiaries uh, in the manner in which I want. All right. Great advice. Now, last but not least, um, you know, before we jump into what I call the lightning round questions, I'd like to see if you also have any, uh, you know, pearls of wisdom to share with us when it comes to helping to minimize uh, tax consequences also as, you know, high net worth professionals. Yeah, see, the thing when it comes to taxes, it what I tell people is that with tax planning, there's a lot of different strategies out there. And you have to look at it from the lens of, A, how much time do I want to invest to make that strategy? So for example, if you came to me tomorrow and you said, hey, Clint, I could save you $10,000 in taxes next year. My first question is, how much of my time is it going to take to reap the $10,000 tax savings? And if you said 15 hours, probably say it's not worth it because my time's more valuable. So you always want to balance it from that standpoint. The second thing about tax planning, you want to make sure that the tax planning that you're incorporating into your overall plan doesn't impair your ability to grow. That is, if you if you plan to invest and you're going to be using financing, working with SBA lenders um, in growing a business, well, certain tax strategies can hurt you and not help you. I've been there, done that. So I tell investors, high net worth individuals, the best strategies you can use to reduce your real estate or to put or, or reduce your taxes is to invest in real estate and do it in a sensible manner in which it can create active deductions for you. What I mean by that, they're non-passive deductions. So you can take those deductions and use them against all other forms of income. Short-term rentals is a great strategy. You can generate uh, huge tax deductions to that if you do it right. Cost segregation, bonus depreciation, all of those things are, are, are key. And if you have a business on your own, then you will move up into other areas. Maybe you're looking at using a captive insurance company for, for your business planning, where you can deduct you know, possibly $2 million a year and, and, and reap those benefits completely tax-free. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Key is you have about three more months before the end of the year. That plan needs to start taking place right now. 
Absolutely. Very good advice, especially when you're looking at um, at depreciation and bonus recapture, because uh, as many people know, and if you don't, you definitely need to find out and be aware. Uh, this year, we're able to use 80% of that. Uh, next year, it'll only be 60%, the following 40%. And hopefully, uh, whatever new administration moves into the White House will uh, we'll turn that baby right back the other direction right. that it used to be. But we'll see how it all plays out. But yeah, great advice. All right. Well, Clint, thank you so much for uh, just some great insight that I know is very important to our listeners. Uh, before you go, I'd like to play what we call the lightning round questions with you. There are five <laughs> questions that I ask all of the guests on the show. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So when you're not talking about real estate and the law, what do you actually do for fun? I ride around on my Kubota tractor. On your what? Your Kubota? Kubota. I have a Kubota tractor, yeah. What is a Kubota tractor? So it's a, well, it's got a little mini excavator on the back. It's got a bucket on the front. And so I have a, a piece of property that I bought a few acres uh, down from my house. And uh, I was working on building an RV garage there and I'm landscaping the property. And so I'm moving dirt, digging holes and building a chicken coop, all kinds of neat things. That is awesome. I love it. I think it's always yeah. healthy to get your hands dirty. All right. Very cool. Um, well, now this might make the next question a little more challenging. What is something that most people don't know about you? I'm a baker. Ah, nice. Any yeah. particular favorite thing? Sourdough bread. Ooh. I've, I've had the same starter going now for probably eight years. And uh, my wife won't eat any other bread other than what I bake. So she'll tell me when we're running low. And uh, yeah, I'll typically bake every other weekend. I'll make about eight loaves and then we'll cut it up put it in the freezer and just pull it out during the week. Very cool. I'm jealous. All right. Um, what about as far as books? What book do you really recommend our listeners would benefit from reading? My book, Next Level Asset Protection. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, if you, if you want to know more about real estate investing and asset protection, I think it's going to, it's a great resource for you. Um, I, have, I wrote another book, Tax and Asset Protection for Real Estate Investors. And I know it sounds like a shameless plug, but it gives you a baseline of what you should consider and it allows you then to talk with other professionals on, on, a, on a basis in which, you know, you can effectively communicate them what you're looking for and you don't make mistakes such as, you know, setting up an S corporation to hold rental real estate. And then you find out all the mistakes that were you made by doing that from a tax standpoint that hurt you. All right. I think it's fair. I think you're standing behind what you wrote and produced, and there's no shame in that. So I encourage everybody to take a look at the book. Um, now, you know, one of the things that we talk about on the show is, yes, you know, we're all for making money. Uh, we're, you know, all for protecting our families and our investments. But at the end of the day, one of the biggest goals and focuses that we have is really building and living an extraordinary life. So what is your advice for people that are striving to build an extraordinary life? Well, you can't take shortcuts is what I would tell you. And um, you need a strong family behind you in order to, to build that life. Um, so, and everyone works in, in, in sync together because I know that I never envisioned where, where I would be today, having built a business to over 500 employees, have sold businesses and with to private equity. And it puts you in a position where you sit back and you go, wow, you know, how did this happen? Well, it was happened because of the people that were around you that supported you to allow you to get there. It is, you know, and I think that if you're 
you want to build that type of life, you need that support structure, you need mentors, you need people you can rely upon that will help you. Just don't know it all. Even though when we're young, we tend to be arrogant, we seem to think that we do. But the reality is you don't. Be open to listening to other people's points of view and on how things get, get, uh, get done. Excellent advice. All right. Um, now, last but not least, Clint, if people want to find you and get in touch with you, with you how can they do so? They can go to uh, AndersonAdvisors.com. They, they can find us, find me on the website, and they can check out my YouTube channel. If you just type in my name uh, or Real Estate Asset Protection, Clint Coons, will take you to my YouTube channel. I, I have uh, several hundred videos uh, where I educate you on asset protection topics and tax planning for you. All right, perfect. And they were very good videos, by the way. I watched a handful of them in preparation for our interview. So uh, high quality and very informative. So I do actually encourage everybody to check that out. All right, well, Clint, thank you so much for joining us today. For those of you that tuned in, thank you for your time. Please don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. Uh, Leave us some comments. Let us know what you'd like to hear more about. And in the meantime, be bold, be strong, and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.